some more perks of being over 40. Some of you aren't even close to that, but some of us are. If you're over 40 years old, you can identify with this. You can eat dinner at 4 p.m. and no one will give you any kind of grief. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. You get into heated arguments about pension plans. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. You quit trying to hold your stomach in, no matter who walks into the room. <laughs> I see a lot of the guys do that. You sing along with elevator music. Your eyes can't get much worse. Your investment in health insurance is finally beginning to pay off. Your joints are more accurate meteorologists than the National Weather Service. And this is the kicker. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Isaiah chapter 49. God has a tattoo. Starting at verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion, which is Israel, said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God's reply. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Father, these next few moments, we pray, you would take these eternal words through these lips of clay, finite mind, finite being, and speak to our hearts. We want change, O oh God. We just don't want to hear the words, and, and yeah, that's, that was nice. But we want to apply them to our lives. We want change, O oh God, in Jesus' name. In your bulletin is the insert. If you want to take notes, you are welcome to do that. There's seven and a half billion of us on this earth. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. There's a lot of folks. Someone once said that you can take all of the world's people and cram them into a two-mile cube, you know, just you know, all scrunched up together. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's seven and a half billion and the large percentage of those people feel alone and discarded and forgotten and rejected and ignored and unaccepted. And it's not just the poor people that feel that way. Most of the world's people feel isolated and alone. One of the main reasons and causes for depression that often unfortunately leads to suicide is nobody cares. One of the main reasons people don't come to God or they don't get closer to God is because God is distant. He's uncaring. He's too busy. He's unconcerned. He's hard to reach. The only concern that he has that many people think of is making his name known, building up his kingdom, and blessing those who are his big stars in the Christian world. They're not, God is not concerned with the little guys like you and me. He's got too much more important things on his mind. Go back to your first love. 
Some of you are sitting next to your first love. <laughs> I remember my first love, my first crush. I couldn't wait to see her. Couldn't wait to hold her hand, talk on the phone, pass notes and letters in the hallway. Nowadays, it's uh, texting and Snapchat and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But when I was growing up, it was, you know, passing notes in the hallway, you know, with Valentines on them, decorating the locker with all kinds of gooey stuff. Some go so far as to tattoo their lover's name on their body. <laughs> What happens if you break up? That's kind of interesting. You've got to erase Linda or Sue from the... the... Love is often the motivating factor for tattoos. Now, most of you know I do exercise three or four times a week. I go to a gym and I can tell you at least half of the millennials, which are also called Generation Y, born between 1981 and 2000, and Generation Z, the boomlets, born between 2001 and the present, over half of them have tattoos. It's amazing. I, I can't, there, there are all kinds of shapes. Some of them are plain. Some of them have lots of color, names, diagrams, skulls. Drawing sayings. Uh, it's just uh, some are sparse, like there's one tattoo on the forearm or the back of the neck. And the other day I was in there and this guy, his whole, both of his legs were covered with tattoos. And I said, wow, is there an end to that? And he rolled up his sleeve and there was more tattoos on his sleeve, on his, on his arms. It was amazing. Why tattoos? I, you know, I asked that question. Is it to get attention? Maybe. Is it to broadcast a message that you believe in? Is it body art, decoration, a design that you really like? And man, I, I, I want that one on my body. Is it to fit in with the rest of them and to say, I'm one of you. I got a tattoo just like you did. And of course, there is always the expression of love for someone or something that you really care about. There's all kinds of reasons for body art to tattoos. My son Andrew has a tattoo. He got I, against my better judgment and my wife's urging him not to do that. He got a tattoo on his back shoulder on the right side, and it's in Hebrew. Now Hebrew is read from right to left this way just the opposite and so he got a tattoo in Hebrew on his back which is a conversation piece he did that for a purpose and in Hebrew it says love God love people so I thought that was okay you know this, this is not you know uh, Mick Jagger is my hero or uh, something like that when he went into the Air Force I said, this is going to be a problem before he put it on him. He says, no, Dad, in the military, especially the Air Force, as long as the tattoo doesn't show on your skin, if it's hidden by the uniform, then we're okay. And when he and I went to Israel last year, we had a Israeli lady that was our guide. She was fluent in both English and Hebrew. And one day, Andrew put his shirt up. And he said, Rotem, is that, is that accurate Hebrew? She goes, yeah, that looks good. Love God, love people. I think that's pretty good. The Bible has something to say about tattoos. Marking your body with permanent dyes, 
or cutting your body is forbidden. Leviticus 19.28 says this, Do not cut your bodies for the dead as a sign for mourning. The pagan nations around Israel at the time, when somebody in their family would die, the people would take a knife and cut themselves as a sign of mourning. Or, that same verse says, put tattoo marks on yourself, I am the Lord. And the reason for that, this, it's in the middle of a long list of do's and don'ts in the book of Leviticus. And it was mainly to keep Israel separate from the pagan cultures that were around them. People did all kinds of strange and weird things, including putting their children on a burnt sacrifice to their gods. They would burn their children alive. And God spoke to them and says, separate yourself from these people. Do not do those kinds of things. And this is one of the things that God said don't do. Now, Betty and I used to go to a chiropractor who was also a, an instructor in anatomy and physiology. He still is at William Jessup University. And we said, Rich, uh, what do tattoos do? And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, uh, tattoo ink is a foreign substance to your body cells. He said, by the way, he said, if they take tattoo ink and they inject it into your veins, it can cause great damage or death. And then he said something interesting. He said, when they put tattoos on you, your body rejects it as a foreign substance, and what it does, it forms a capsule around it to protect it from the live cells that are around there so it won't spread. It's interesting. It must be done. Some of you looking at me like, I was thinking of getting a tattoo, but I... it must be done with extreme care and detail and expertise. And it can be removed, but very slowly, very painfully, and very expensively, for sure. Now, having said all that, why in the world does God get to have a tattoo and we don't? <laughs> What's the deal here? Let's look at our scripture again. Isaiah chapter 49. <laughs> Verse 13, it's a celebration. God says, shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. God calls his people to rejoice and celebrate. Why? Because God is saying in this verse, although Israel has been disobedient and idolatrous and prideful, in other words, they put other gods before me, although Israel has done that, I promise to redeem them and to restore them and to bring them back to me if only they turn to me and say, God, I want you more than anything else. God says, I am joyful when that happens. Oh, it's, it's a celebration time when people turn from their idolatrous ways, their worldly ways, and they turn and they embrace God. Just like this morning when people came down to, to get prayed over, God is extremely blessed and joyful when that happens. God always remembers Israel and he promises his compassion and his comfort to them. In the verse 14, here's a typical human response to God loves you. He's remembering. He, he cares for you. A typical response is right here that we do as human beings. But the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. We do that so often when God shouts to us, rejoice, I love you, I'm for you, I'm not against you, I, I'm, I'm here for I'm here to walk you with all through your life and to be a blessing and to guide you. And we go, no, God, you've forsaken us. 
you have forgotten us. And then God goes, okay, let me, let me give you a good illustration so that you'll remember. He said, can a wife, can a mother forget her child at her breast? The baby that she's nursing, can she forget about that child? Can she hate that child? Although some mothers have done that. They've turned away from their children. They've aborted their child. God says, if a mother, if a mother loves her child as much, how much more do I love you? How much more do I care for you? And then God says, look, I have a tattoo on my hands. I have engraved your name on my hands. I love you. I'm always thinking of you. That is amazing. He's always, he's always thinking of us. He's always looking at our names, our faces. Other scriptures talk about God's remembrance. In, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, it's, uh, it's Noah. He's in the ark. He's been there a year floating with the other animals. What a stench that must have been. P-U! And God spoke to him, but God remembered Noah and his family and all the wild animals and the livestock that were there in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. Psalm chapter 98, verse 3, it says, God has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. That's us, his children. He remembers his love always, constantly. Psalm 136, 23 says, To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. When we are down and out, when we're struggling, God... God says, let me love you. Let me lift you up and bless you. What a wonderful God we serve. He never forgets us. He's there for us, even in the stressful and the anxious times. And all of us have experienced stress and anxiety in our lives, both at home, outside, sometimes in the church. It's there. And God says, I'm with you. And his divine care is always available. He always cares about us. He always loves us and wants to take care of us. Psalm 115, 12 says, The Lord remember us, us and will bless us. God wants to bless us, but we have to be still and allow him to do that. We can't do things on our own, forge our own way through life. We have to acknowledge him and bring him into the picture and say, God, I would like to do this. What do you think, God? I lay this before you. And God says, I will bless you. I will guide you. I will give you what you need. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, for the pagans, he's talking to the people now, for the pagans, the unbelievers, run after all these things, clothes and cars and, and luxuries and money and, and fame and fortune. They run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need right now. God knows specifically what you're going through, and he knows exactly how to take care of it. Just like Lisa shared this morning about the woman with the issue of blood. God knew exactly what she needed. And it's interesting because when his healing virtue flowed out of his body, it, it, it didn't touch so much her toes or her knees or her legs or her shoulders. She might have had some aches and pains there, but it went right to the pain. It went right to the, to the area that it needed to go. God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows how to take care of that need. Hallelujah. 
And then, of course, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says he cares for us. God knows extinct. You know, you people who are parents, you know what your kids want, right? You know what they need. You know their personalities. And instinctively you go, okay, Sophie needs this. Teo needs this. Sarah needs this. We, we, we know. We know what needs. You know, we know as parents how much more does God know about us. So in your inserts, number one, humans forget and complain. We're so good about that. They forget. It's so easy to forget the past deliverances and blessings from God. How many of you have been blessed by God in the past? Let me see your hands. Oh, man, 100% should go up. God has blessed us. Israel was at the Red Sea. Remember the Red Sea? They had just left Egypt, and they were heading out uh, to the Promised Land, and they got up to the Red Sea, and there was a, the, the sea was there. And all of a sudden, behind them, here comes Pharaoh and his army. I'm going to slice off their heads. I'm going to mash them into the ground. And the people are going, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the desert? Weren't there enough graves back there in Egypt that you bring us out here to die? Oh, woe is us. Israel was crying out to Moses. And they had forgotten all the miracles that God had done in Egypt to get them to that place. The ten plagues that had happened, God miraculously did so much to deliver Israel into, into the wilderness and eventually on. And that's when Moses said, look, chill out, modern-day vernacular. Be still and know that God is going to fight for you. The busyness of life causes us to focus inward. It causes us to forget about God. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. That's a good one to pray when you eat and you've forgotten to pray ahead of time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He gives us health and breath and strength. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God blesses us. And we forget so much about that. I get bogged down with cares just like the rest of you. There are deadlines and commitments and things going on beyond my, my pastoral work. And I'm almost constantly focused on the next task. Okay, there's something. I've done this now. There's something in front of me. You know, what do I have to do to prepare for that? And I many times forget to focus on God and his goodness and his provision and his protection. I start to worry, God, this is too much for me. I feel like I'm being overwhelmed. And God says, get back and focus on me. Put me right in the front and say, God, help me through this time. And then secondly, humans complain. Oh, man, they complain, they complain. How many of you have never complained before? Let me see your hands. <laughs> oh, there's a hand up there. That's it. Would you, 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 you mind giving seminars for the rest of us? <laughs> it's so easy to complain, isn't it? We're wired that way because of our sins. God has forgotten me. He's forsaken me. He doesn't care about me. 
Why did this rotten thing happen to me? Why was I treated this way? Why couldn't things have turned out better? Why, why, why? We complain. You know, being a pastor, I'm around all kinds of people. Thank goodness most of them are positive and have a, have a good outlook. They know that they're connected with God, but some of them uh, are, are like a cloud, like uh, Charlie was it Linus or one of them, Pigpen or something, he's got a cloud over him everywhere they go. The complainers, it kind of like just sucks the life out of a person being around somebody who complains and moans and groans. There's a story in the Old Testament if you haven't read it yet, I really recommend that you do. Out of Numbers chapter 16, in the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, they had gotten by the Red Sea, the Red Sea had parted, the Israelites had gone through, and then when Pharaoh and the Egyptians tried to come through, the Red Sea came back and drowned them all. What a wonderful, I mean, it was just a marvelous uh, miracle. So then in the wilderness... And all of a sudden, there's a group of people headed up by a guy named Korah. And they were ticked off at Moses' leadership. They started to complain. Moses, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you, yourself, self-serving? You, you don't care about us? And eventually, Moses went to God and he said, what do we do about this, God? And God says, I want you to take the, you and the rest of your folks, I want you to back off. And I want you to leave Korah and his family all together on the plain. So back away from him. So Moses did. And God says, this is what I do to complainers. It's a good thing he doesn't do this today. The Bible says the earth opened up and all of them fell in. Women, children, donkeys. You go, whoa. Yeah, Korah had infected everybody. <laughs> in that family. Everything was contaminated with his complaints. And on top of that, the people saw what happened and they started complaining to Moses again. Say, why did you treat Korah this way? Why did you do that? He was a good dude. And so the Lord said to Moses, the verse 41, the next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and said, you've killed the Lord's people. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned towards the tent of meeting, suddenly the crowd covered and the glory of the Lord appeared. And then the Lord said, I want Moses, I want you guys to get away again. And God inflicted these second group of complainers with a plague. And 14,000, the Bible says, 14,700 of them went <laughs> dead before they hit the ground with a plague. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Moses and the rest of the folks that were watching that happen, I would go, I ain't saying a word. <laughs> Moses, you demand. You, you demand. You take, us, you take us all the way in. You demand. Complaining. That's what God thinks about complaining. I don't really think he likes complaining and grumbling. <laughs> I think it's like, it's like, why? Why bother? There's always something around the corner that's going to be better. You're going to be getting through what you're getting through. Number two, God remembers and rejoices. He remembers. He remembers. God remembers. God uses the strongest human bond possible, mother and child, as an example of his bond with us, which is even stronger. Psalms chapter 139 says this in verses 17 and 18. It says, how precious to me 
are your thoughts, O God. This is David writing. How precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, David goes on, they would be more than the grains of sand on the seashore. In other words, how in the world are you going to count the grains of sand on the seashore? By the way, somebody, I thought I'd throw this in. Somebody once said, well, how long is eternity, Pastor? Well, let me see. They'll give you an illustration. Let's say you go to the West Coast, pick up a grain of sand, walk all the way across the country, drop the grain of sand on the ground, pick up a grain of sand from the East Coast beaches. Walk all, you, like, you like the sound effect? Walk all the way across, drop it on the West Coast. It said eternity, one second of eternity is you moving all the sand from the West Coast to the East Coast. From the East Coast. That's how long eternity is. Longer than that. It goes on forever and forever. And God is saying to us that he thinks about us always. How vast is the sum of your thoughts for us, O oh God. You know, it's heartbreaking to see or hear stories of loved ones who are slipping into dementia. Now, most of you have heard of dementia. You've heard of Alzheimer's disease. Dementia is in the medical classification, is the general classification of a loss of uh, mental ability. And one of the components under dementia is Alzheimer's disease. It's really uh, something medically. Uh, doctors have shown that Alzheimer's disease people have actual lesions or openings in their brain, a physiological spaces where the, the connections aren't being made. And it's, it's really sorry sad to see loved ones slipping into dementia, into Alzheimer's disease, which is a part of dementia, and them not recognizing you. It's amazing. It's sad because you being a child of your mother or father who's in dementia and they not recognizing you. But I can tell you, God never gets dementia. <laughs> his mind is as vast as the universe. He's able to remember each one of us constantly. He doesn't forget a trick. There's not one thing in our lives that slips by him. Oh, oh, what did Belle do over there? I forgot. I she went so fast down the soccer field. I didn't... He always remembers. Nothing goes by him. And then secondly, God rejoices. God rejoices. Picture God rejoicing over you. Picture that. In Zephaniah chapter 3. Verse 17, the minor prophet Zephaniah wrote, The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. Think of somebody who has taken great delight in you, besides your mom and dad, of course. He will quiet you with his love. You ever been next to somebody and you know they love you so much, you just are so quiet, so good. He will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine God over you singing. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm with you. I will never leave you, forsake you. My mom had the gift of compassion and mercy. I'd already told you in my household growing up, I had, uh, it was a, a troubled household. There was a lot of tension, but my mom was always there. And it was one thing that kept me going through some very, very dark times of my life. 
my mom was there. She took great delight in my sister and myself. We were her life. That's why I believe when I brought Betty home to introduce her to my family, my mom had a hard time with that. Matter of fact, when we picked, my, when we picked Betty up at the time, my, uh, my fiance at the airport, my mom wouldn't even get out of the car and acknowledge her. <laughs> she eventually warmed up. It was good. We had two, two boys, and you know, she came out and, and was you know, gushing. I know before my mom left this earth um, that she, she loved my wife, and, and she really, but uh, you know, we were able to give her two, two wonderful boys. God rejoices over us. He loves to comfort. He loves to have compassion. He is so in love with you individually. He has engraved your name on the palms of his hands. He's always thinking about you. He looks at your name and he says, Ah, that's my boy, Barry. I love him. Insert your name if you want to. That's my child. Okay. Remember, in closing, humans forget and complain, and God remembers and rejoices. He rejoices over you. He's got you engraved on the palms of his hands. Let's take a look at this as we close, please. Bus driver being hailed a hero for saving a baby who was walking on an overpass wearing just a onesie in that cold Milwaukee winter. ABC's Adrian Bankert is here with the story. Quite an amazing video we can see there. Yeah, amazing, startling, and it's going to give us all a fresh dose of hope this morning in humanity. What's remarkable is that this bus driver noticed it all, and thank goodness she did for the sake of that child. Watch. This is the gripping moment that made a bus driver hit the brakes. A tiny baby toddling down the side of a freeway overpass all alone, barefoot in the freezing cold. The driver's shock and instant reaction caught on camera. In this just-released video, Milwaukee bus driver Irina Ivich stops to chase after an eight-month-old baby girl with just a onesie and a diaper on. Ivich scoops her up, keeps her from running into oncoming traffic, and then races her back to the bus, the frightened child crying in her arms. The passengers on board the bus stunned as Ivich gets back on holding that baby. Oh, my God. Oh my God, I'm shaking. Oh, I am too. Oh my God, I was so upset and I couldn't, I couldn't believe that somebody can left a child on the street. One of the passengers gives up her coat to the barely dressed child, who officials say was cold to the touch. By the time police arrive, the baby is fast asleep in the bus driver's arms. The uh, baby was uh, so scared and cried and he didn't know what to do, where to go. Milwaukee County Transit says this is the ninth time in recent years a bus driver has rescued a child on their route. Evich is being honored for bringing this little girl home, safe and sound. That's the sort of human impulse we should be celebrating and encouraging. And as you saw there, the baby reunited with... See that as a human reflection of what our father does for us. He cares about us so much. He'll stop a galaxy or two from spinning, get off of the bus as it will, and go after you and pick you up and hold you and love you and encourage you. That's our God. 
He has you engraved on the palm of his hands. Amen? Bow your heads with me, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you to this, this morning have possibly a, a hard time realizing how much God loves you. I don't know why, but you do. I did. But the more you open your heart up to him and allow him to love you and to show you your name engraved on his hands, your life will change. First of all, let's confess our complaining and forgetting about God and his care for us. Lord, I just confess so much in my life. I, I forget about you and I complain. And I don't realize how much you've done for me and how much more you are going to do for me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. God, forgive us. And then secondly, I want you to picture God rejoicing over you. I want you to picture that. Picture you standing. I don't know, throne room, doesn't matter. Allow God just to stand over you and love you. Rejoice over you. I love my money. I love my Pam. I love my Kirsten and Anthony. I, God, thank you. Help us. Help us, Lord, to love you. Help us to realize that you rejoice over us, O oh God. Lord, bless us today with that peace that passes understanding that you love us all equally, perfectly, and that you care about us. And what this bus driver did is just a small reflection of your care for us. We thank you for that. And we give you praise now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.